Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Dr. Jonathan Metzl. He is a gun violence expert, director of the Department of Medicine, Health and Society, and professor of sociology and psychiatry at the mighty Vanderbilt University. Always fascinating to have the good doctor on the show. Top story of the day, hell of a thing. This guy here, once again, another individual failing to the top. He is probably your front runner to become speaker of the house. We're talking about Jim Jordan put up the picture for a mask. I have to remind everyone that Jim Jordan, well, he has been involved in some controversy. The Republican out of Ohio has emerged as a strong contender to be the next leader of the house. Let me remind everyone of the character of Jim Jordan. Here it is. Ohio State University wrestlers are coming forward to say their former assistant coach, Congressman Jim Jordan, knew student athletes were being sexually abused and are dumbfounded to understand how Jordan can deny it. That's a lie, he's lying. Period. Period, he's a liar. Tito Vasquez is the latest, a walk-on wrestler in 1989 who took an elbow to the nose. Sent to team doctor Richard Strauss to stop a nosebleed, the doctor fondled his genitals. There were some wrestlers with Jordan over to my um, left-hand side, and I said something to the effect that Doc's hands are freezing, and that he, you know, he he examined me thoroughly, um, extremely thoroughly, you know, my private parts, and everybody was just like, you know, kind of snickering. Jordan said, I have nothing to do with this. But Jordan heard what you said. Oh, he he heard what I said. Vasquez, a public school teacher for the past 27 years, Mm -hmm. is the sixth former Ohio State wrestler to tell CNN they directly told Jim Jordan of the abuse or Jim Jordan was present when someone was recalling abuse by the team's doctor. Eight more former wrestlers tell CNN the abuse by Dr. Richard Strauss was such a routine topic of conversation that it's inconceivable Jordan did not know. Richard Strauss killed himself in 2005. Yep, I believe the individuals who were victimized. Now let's put up the picture of this member of Congress again. Please understand what he was accused of. He was accused of providing cover for a sexual predator who was predatory against student athletes. Where does that even come from? Who does that? What kind of human being would engage in such activity? There was a policy to report, meaning according to the rules, he would have been protected. There was also credible allegations. Multiple individuals said they told coach Jim Jordan directly. He denied it. He said it never happened. He called them liars for saying that it did, meaning His knowledge of it. He did not deny that individuals are obviously telling the truth about the coach who did this and decided to kill himself rather than face the scrutiny. Now, he has been um, endorsed, obviously, by Trump at a time. So let's put it up. What did Trump say? Congressman Jim Jordan has been a star. Long before making this successful journey to Washington, D.C., represented Ohio's fourth congressional district, 
respected by all. He is now chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. As president, I had the honor of presenting Jim with our country's highest civilian award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So much is learned from sports, and Jim was a master. While attending Graham High School, he won state championships all four years, a rarity, and compiled an amazing 156 to 1 record. And he goes on to talk about Jim Jordan's ability to do one thing really well, to win sporting competitions. Obviously, that translates to character and to good governance and to leadership, to morality. Of course, it does not. Um, let's do this. Uh, meanwhile, there's a representative named Garrett Graves, okay? And um, Garrett Graves says this I want to tell you something that I think is really important. The number of members of Congress that said that Jim Jordan of 2010 or 2020. Is a night and day difference to the Jim Jordan of 2023. And there's been a lot of change and I, I guess maturity in the way that he's approached things, end quote. You see the writing on the wall, the tea leaves, you can read them. They are aligning for Jim Jordan. So there are some who are saying on social media, obviously, Jim Jordan does not deserve this position. There are Republicans who are saying the same thing, not Republican. Members of Congress, no, no, I'm talking about Republicans who vote for Republican members of Congress. Many of them are sounding very commonsensical here that Jim Jordan lacks the credibility, the morality, the ethical prowess required to engage in such an office. But I submit to you, the reason he's number one, it is not in spite of, it is because of scandals. You see, he now has a selling point. What is his selling point? Well, it's right in front of you. He's able to engage in the most severe conspiracies. He's able to engage in the most extreme levels of criminality by covering up for someone who would exploit a child sexually. Now, if a man can do that with student athletes that are under his authority, I mean, he can go all the way in Congress. All right, Dr. Metzl, thoughts? Terrifying prospect that he could become the Speaker of the House. I mean, let's just think, what does the Speaker of the House do? The Speaker of the House makes deals, um, ushers the budget, keeps the government afloat, um, figures out ways to negotiate with people. You actually need a lot of interpersonal people skills and political skills. Um, and so just in general, even without all this, it's impossible to be without it, but even without this, um, this is the wrong character for somebody that you want to be in Speaker of the House because you need a deal maker. You need a consensus builder in that position, not someone who is so beholden to one ideological line. That to me is a disaster waiting to happen because you've got to keep the government open. You've got to secure funding for all the crises that are happening around the world. So even without all this stuff, 
he's the wrong dude for the job. And then, I don't know, think, listen to Liz Cheney last week or a few weeks ago. This is somebody who was ideologically, um, basically in bed with the, um, with the insurrection, knew more about the insurrection than any member of Congress before, before it happened and then refused to testify, uh, before, uh, even with a subpoena to testify before the, the January 6th commission. And so there's a long string. I mean, the idea that basically he, he's had a change of heart between 2010 and now is, is really undermined by all these factors. And then there's this story about sexual abuse, uh, turning a blind eye in the party that seemingly says it's all about protecting minors from sexuality and all these factors. And so I really think we need to get to the bottom of this story. And I also think just flat out, this is the wrong, this is the wrong person and the wrong personality type you want for, for a position like this. It's somebody who's more interested in holding power than in doing the functions of what the Speaker of the House really needs to do. Very well said, and I concur with everything you have put forward, and I will say this once once again, everything that you and I perceive as a negative becomes a positive to the group he is seeking approval from. That is how much we have disconnected in the body politic. All right, we'll bring you updates as they come. Um, A story that we brought you from day one, an Atlanta police officer kills, kills, a deacon of a church. The man went out to grab some food and was involved in a minor traffic issue that led to his death. Let's put his picture up full mass to remind you of Mr. Johnny Holman. Mr. Holman's death has been ruled a homicide. If you remember, we had his daughter in an exclusive, in depth interview on the program. This was right after she was allowed to see the video of her father's death. They have not released this video to the public, even though every single member of Atlanta City Council in a unanimous vote passed a resolution telling the chief of police, release the damn video. Here's a reminder of what she said on Indisputable. Ms. Holman, when you got the information about what happened, what was the narrative presented to you first? So first of all, nobody really came and spoke to me about what happened. I actually, my dad actually called me. So when he called me, he called out, he said, baby, baby. But I could hear what was going on because he, you know, the phone was on speaker so I could hear my dad and I could also hear the officer. So seeing that video, um, it just gave me confirmation for what I already knew because I had already heard it. I didn't physically see it, but I heard it. So when I put what I heard to what I saw, yeah, I'm in outrage. And I feel like this officer, he needs to be prosecuted. I feel like he needs to be off the force and terminated. And I feel like the world needs to see what he did to my daddy. It's, to me, it's just clear cut murder. Clear cut. She says the attorney, Attorney Davis was with her, civil rights attorney. He agreed with the sentiment. He saw the video as well. The police, they refused to let the public see it, even though city council has passed a unanimous resolution. The city has since changed its policy to let officers write refusal to sign on a ticket 
instead of arresting someone who does not sign. I'm going to explain that in a minute. The policy requires officers to inform drivers that a signature is not an admission of guilt. It just acknowledges receipt of the ticket and court date. The Atlanta City Council last last week called on the city to release the video from the incident. So let me explain what this actually means as far as a policy change. According to the officer who did this, who ended up killing a man in his 60s, a deacon of the church. He did this because well, Mr. Holman committed the high crime of refusing to sign his petty ass ticket. Now, this officer, the ego can't take that. It's a man of the law. And he proceeded according to those who have seen the video to act in a way that was so extreme that it became about his ego and had nothing to do with justice. And while the officer put in the report that Mr. Holman refused to sign, according to those who have seen the video, Mr. Holman was saying clearly, I will sign the ticket, but I want a supervisor here. I will sign the ticket. There's something else. The policy is if you don't sign the ticket, which says in lieu of bail, if you don't sign the ticket, they're saying, well, your signature is the reason you're not going to jail. So if you don't give us the signature, I have no choice but to just put you in jail. Well, the city of Atlanta has changed that policy. You now have an option where the officer can say, refuse to sign. Look how simple. The solution was, he refused to sign, that's it. This is not in lieu of you going to jail. There's more, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which is examining the officer's actions, has requested that the Atlanta Police Department not release the video until the state agency investigation is complete. Holmes' death is has contributed to discontent with Police among some Atlantans that centers on a proposal to build what's called Cop City. The medical examiner, Dr. Melissa Sim Stanley, said that based on a review of the video and a conversation with, with a GBI investigator, she concluded that Holman was unresponsive after he was stunned, after he was actually shot with a stun gun. He was likely dead then, according to the Atlanta Journal Constitution in their report. And let me read. What Eric Mock of Fox 5 News said, the Atlanta City Council voted unanimously, unanimously to urge the Atlanta Police Department, the mayor, to release body cam footage showing the arrest and in custody death of Johnny Holman. This came after impassioned demands from his family members to release the video to the public. So you got Mayor Andre Dickens, um, allegedly a, a progressive mayor. You have the city council. Um, holistically not progressive at all. It's a whole lot of folk on one side or the other, all right? This is not a body of progressive individuals. You have absolute conservatives and you have some absolute progressives. They all agreed, they all agreed. We should not be taking orders from an agency that nobody in this city elected. It doesn't matter that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation made a recommendation, fine. You make a recommendation, great, good for you. That has nothing to do with the authority of Atlanta. And it's amazing to me how police departments will always talk about their absolute jurisdiction to do something. And then when it comes to something like this, 
Why don't you insert your absolute jurisdiction and tell the GBI you have no jurisdiction here? Because they don't. They can only make a recommendation. And the police department is hiding behind that recommendation as if somehow it is binding. All right. Doc, thoughts here? Um, obviously, a really upsetting human tragedy. I mean, you just think, why couldn't they have just changed that policy? It seems so obvious in, in yep. retrospect. Um, but I, I completely agree with your analysis. I think that... You know, we're in this moment now where there's a real debate about safety, and I think people want to feel safe. There's concerns um, where I live, where many people live, um, and, and part of that safety isn't just about crime and criminals. It's also about transparency, about the people who are sworn to protect us. And so it just seems so obvious, so obvious from cases like this that transparency builds trust, right? Transparency, it's not like people are against ceding part of their safety to other people. I mean, people feel unsafe sometimes and they and they need help. But when the when the authorities who are supposed to protect us are not transparent about it, or when it's tied up in, as you're suggesting here, and I think rightly so, bureaucracy, questions of power, it actually makes people feel feel less safe. And so now's a time to like open that up in a way. I mean, I think I know a lot of issues we're talking about on the show today are about are about policing. But now is a moment to really take a case like this, which is horrific, and say, how many other examples of this are there where it's it's about power, it's not about safety, it's about bureaucracy, it's not about safety? And really, let's have a conversation about that. How can we build community consensus around 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 safety? Very well said. Um, and once again, the us and them divide gets wider every time something like this happens, where even members of city council can't understand why would we not release the video? All right. Once again, we'll bring you updates as they come. Another, another APD cop. Well, he's been arrested for, well, preying on a teenager, put up his picture full mass. This is a hell of a story. It happened over a traffic incident. Anthony Anderson, an Atlanta police officer, has been charged with sexual battery Thursday after a 16 year old accused him of assaulting her after he responded to a traffic accident involving the girl in early August. Police said Officer Anthony Anderson was removed from the field on August 11th after the APD learned of the complaint. But the department has refused to provide an update on Anderson's job status post his arrest. So I'm going to give you the update as we have it. Let me give you background. So police said Anderson was dispatched to a single car accident during the early morning hours of August 2nd. When he arrived to the scene of this single car accident, he made contact with a child, 16 years of age, who was operating the vehicle. Anderson's actions during the uh, and after his shift prompted a criminal investigation conducted by the Special Victims Unit of the police department. The police investigation concluded Thursday when Officer Anderson was charged with a violation of oath of office, cruelty to children in the second degree, aggravated, aggravated sexual battery. Anderson was taken into custody Thursday 
transported by the police to the Fulton County Jail, where he will await trial. According to Anderson's background, he received at least four citizens' complaints since 2018. Atlanta Police Chief, put him up. Darren Sherbaum said, quote, not only am I disturbed and disappointed by these allegations, but it also angers me. He continued, we ask the public to trust us to do the right thing, to keep them safe. So when one of our own is accused of despicable acts with a minor, it arose that trust that sometimes takes years to build, Sherbaum said. You can be assured I will act swiftly to investigate any time allegations of misconduct are brought to my attention. I want to thank the Atlanta Police Department's Criminal Investigation Division for their prompt action in dealing with this matter. Thank you to the SVU detectives um, for seeing something and doing something, okay? Now, they're not giving us the gruesome details, but you can see the charges and you can imagine what those details are. Uh, this is someone who was exposed. Doesn't mean this is the only time they have engaged in such extreme and violating behavior. But let's let's look at the complaints. We still don't have on record what are these complaints? Were there some complaints dismissed that are housed inside of the city of Atlanta and will not be part of public review? And this is why the George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act was so important to pass. And damn it, they did not pass it. But it would have been front and center. These complaints would have been known to us. And the fact that they would have been known to us, the transparency creates its own watchdog organization. You see the point here. When you have public review of records that are or should be available to the public, it provides its own politics outside of their own. So now instead of only worrying about the politics of blue, they got to worry about the politics of us. And that's the reason we need transparency and policing. All right, Doc, thoughts here. I mean, it's very, I mean, obviously a different crime, but so similar to the story we just did. And, yeah. and I come, I just could not agree more. It's it's so frustrating. We did not, we did not pass that um that transparency act because again, transparency brings community involvement, it brings safety, it it actually creates the kind of community that makes effective policing easier. So the idea that we're protecting some kind of it just creates like a a, a barrier mentality between police and, and society. And so I hope, I just hope for all of us that that moment didn't pass. I know that things, I mean, we have a huge election coming up, but I just think this idea that the idea that we want transparency and the people who are, who we've empowered to protect us is, is, a, is such a universal issue. And I just think these cases, they're horrific in and of themselves, but they also highlight just the importance of why we want that transparency. It's better for society. It's better for policing. It's better for safety. And it, and, and it, and it, it, it kind of breaks down, as I think you're rightly saying, this us versus them mentality, which is, you know, we're, policing these people who are unruly or something like that. Like that's the that's the framework that gets us in trouble and, yep. and leads to this kind of outcome in, in, in the first place. Very well said. Very well said. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We still got a lot of show left. Let me go to some of these comments. And thank you, everybody. I can't get to everyone, but I appreciate everyone, okay? 
Um, nasty habits, nasty dragon. Uh, to coin a phrase, heaven help us if Jim Jordan becomes Speaker of the House. It's going to be insane. Um, I, I would imagine that he would be, and this is not me being hyperbolic at all. He will probably probably be, in effect, just as dangerous as Trump without the theatrics of Trump. Okay, he brings his own theatrics, but he will be probably just as bad. Um, all right, YouTube movie girl. Uh, put Jim Jordan on permanent blast. Has no business being the Speaker of the House. I like what you did with the gym there. All right, Speaker of the House or any uh, kind of leadership, any dang where. I agree 100%. Uh, Dystopian Dragon, thank you for that. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. There you go. That's right. Uh, also, Law School Stud, thank you for that. Mess led our softball team to victory yesterday. Nice. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and your softball say that. is dope, man. I mean, they, they're always supportive, and we appreciate you all uh, supporting the doc. Okay, and congrats on leading the team to victory. Uh, you know, it, I, right. I, I I paid him five bucks to say that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got the Jack. He says, "Give." Oh no, thank you for that. Thank you. I'll give the one indisputable. Uh, and let's do Twitch. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Go Green New Deal or Dragon. The greatest thing that could have happened this election season would be Jackie Nina and Dr. Richard Cornell West all ran into primaries and invited corporate devs to debate, hosted by TYT. That would be phenomenal. It really would be. All right. All right. I got something else that's quite amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? picture full mass. Obviously, this Karen who decided to engage in racism, aggression, profanity in front of minors at that, told people she didn't give a damn about their children. 
all because they did not put hot sauce in her order. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a bigger question here. What in the hell are they putting in that hot sauce? Um, I like hot sauce like the next person, okay? But for you, madam, to go through these changes because of hot sauce, um, there, it may be something else to investigate here. Uh, now, does the hot sauce or the withdrawal of it make you become racist? All right, uh, Doc, because um, you are a doctor of the mind, um, <laughs> I'm going to, <laughs> sir, is there something, could it be, could it be the hot sauce, sir? Do we need to look, are we looking at the wrong thing here? Well, I mean, Let's be honest. There is a sriracha shortage in the world right now, <laughs> okay, um, because of global warming. Yeah, um, and I have I have a sriracha addiction um, that I'm trying to recover from. Um, maybe sriracha was suppressing racism in in certain mm. people, and so point. it's sir, sriracha withdrawal or something like that. But um, I don't know. Every time I was thinking, like, it's a really high bar to to get on your show with a, a kind of Karen video, and this woman. Met that she surpassed the bar. She yes. surpassed the bar. Like people who do this kind of thing. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I really think um, it's not a hot, it's not a hot sauce issue for her. Right now, I will say this. I, I want you to go, uh, Jordan. I want you to go to the uh, Jordan is my producer. I want you to go to the uh, screenshot of the officer, okay? <laughs> um, because uh, officer comes in and. Uh, they're trying to reason with this person who obviously is quite unreasonable. And I, I have to imagine if this would have been a black male acting in that manner inside of a facility with children and everybody else, and a cop happens to be there. Does the cop say, listen, I'm trying to reason with you. Can you just walk outside with me? Just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. We'll get you your hot sauce. No, I think it would have been a completely different ending. Than what you saw. Hell of a thing. A social worker put her up for a mass, according to the report, preyed on a 13 year old child. The social worker has been identified as Peyton Charez. She allegedly engaged in sexual relationships with a child. Okay, in Columbus, Ohio, the child was 13. Her social worker license was issued this past June. Keep a picture up. I want to remind everyone of what we talk about on Indisputable as it relates to stories like this. Individuals who will engage in this kind of violation typically try to affix themselves into a position of trust in order to engage in this kind of violation. Columbus Division of Police SWAT team. They took her into custody on Friday. Charez was charged with having unlawful sexual conduct with a minor, third degree felony. However, police said that additional charges would likely be added. According to the Franklin County court records, the teen's mother called the police on September 27th after finding text messages between her son and the social worker. 
In the messages, the social worker allegedly posed a question to the team if he had, quote, deleted the videos, end quote. And if his mother had, quote, seen the videos or messages, end quote. The team's mother turned the phone over to the officers who responded to the call. The social worker reportedly admitted to having the encounter with the team on a three-way call between her, the team's mother, and detectives. So an admission is logged for the record. She appeared in court Saturday, had a bond set of $500,000. Wow. You know, monsters come in all shapes and sizes, right? All colors too, all genders. Um, there are some who are going to say, and doc, they do this every time we do a story like this, uh, that, well, you know, there's no issue. You know, he's a male and, and, and this is a nice looking female. No, this is a child and that's an adult. The psychological trauma that this child will endure um, can't be determined in this very moment. I mean, the damage permeates over time. And Doc, I want you to speak to that um, because your profession studies these things over time. So you have this, uh, this context that we may not. Uh, so explain the danger and the adverse psychology connected to predators like her, uh, who, who allegedly has admitted to the crime, and what they do to individuals who are children um, under their watch or authority. Well, you know, it's really highlighting a, a blind spot, I feel like. I was thinking that when, when you were talking about the story, which is to say that we have a really developed method for catching male clinicians who are predators on female patients very often, sometimes male patients. Um, that came out of the 60s and 70s, this idea of a boundary violation. There are entire courses, professional things. I mean, it comes out of this history of psychoanalysis, which talked about the erotics of clinical encounters. And so men, we just have, a, we have a whole regulatory apparatus around, around men who, who prey on women, which is still, I would guarantee you a much, much bigger problem. Uh, when we see women who do this kind of thing, it's very sensational. We also see, for example, teachers who prey on students. Um, it often appears like this story in places like the New York Post. Um, and so what's the story we're telling? Is it that there's more female-driven sexual abuse than, than we realize? If that's true, we should get an assessment. Um, I would guarantee you that the trauma on the kids is pretty much going to be the same. This is sexual abuse. I agree with you uh, regardless. But it does highlight, I think, really a, a blind spot, which is um, what about when the gender roles are reversed? It changes the power dynamic. I would bet that it's harder for our society to see uh, something like this because it doesn't play to the narrative that we've all been trained in, into seeing. Yep. And, and that becomes, uh, in a way, the societal limitation of the uh, real impact this may have on a young person because of our uh, restrictive understanding, we then project that on everyone else as if this is not a big deal. This is a huge deal, all right? This is evil to prey on a child. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay.
All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Cray Cray Souffle says that Karen sounds like she was hot, sauced. <laughs> I like that. That was funny. Uh, Biden flavored corn pop. Um, exactly, Dr. Rich, you're always nailing it. I think you're talking about the, um, the Karen. Okay. Uh, Gwendolyn Scott, thank you for that, Gwendolyn. We appreciate you so much. And James Thompson, thank you, James. James gifted one indisputable membership. We appreciate you. Okay, and Jackal Dragon 1991. Doc, she's talking about she wants some hot sauce. She's going to end up getting some special sauce in the food that probably already happened. I just I have a feeling inside of my heart that that may have preceded the rest of everything um, that took place. Um, also, is this Ryu Raw? How does wanting hot sauce lead to that kind of behavior? Never had an issue asking for any sauce when either I or the staff forgot it. Yeah, that's right. Right. And late underscore bloom is 66 to give to one um, um, indisputable. Thank you so much for that. And Chris Shuggy, what? They've given 208 gift subs in the channel. Wow. Thank you as well. It all works together. We appreciate everyone who's part of the platform. Okay. All right. Hell of a thing. Um, I've actually frequented at, at this place. Uh, the Bucky's. National Chain Convenience Store, the son of the owner, okay? According to the authorities, he was putting cameras, secret spy cameras in the bathroom, put up his picture full of masks. The son of the co-founder of the nationally renowned Bucky's Convenience Store has now been arrested in Travis County in Austin, Texas. For the crime of major invasion of privacy. His name is Mitchell Wasset, faces 28 separate state jail felony charges of invasive visual recordings. According to the Travis County jail records, Mitchell, 28 years of age, was released one hour after being arrested on a $10,000 bond. Per charge for a total of $280,000. And the condition, he not contact the complainants. The Travis County Sheriff's Office received a telephone complaint in May alleging improper photography had occurred at a home on the banks of Lake Travis. Okay. The multi million dollar property is home of Donald E. Wasset Mitchell. Our father and co-founder Bucky's. Okay, a woman reported she and a few of her friends. Well, they were visiting the lake house with Mitchell when one friend, who worked cybersecurity for the Department of Defense, noticed a charging port with a hidden camera plugged into the wall of their bathroom. The group of friends left with the camera and on its microcard found dozens of videos of themselves and other people in bathrooms and bedrooms at the lake house as well as the Dallas apartment. According to the arrest affidavit, they were unaware that the recordings existed in the bedroom and bathroom and indicated they did not consent to being recorded or photographed. It was even further discovered. 
A warrant was obtained to review the contents of the camera found. 68 movie files containing, containing excuse me, at least 13 male and female individuals being recorded using toilets, showering, change of clothes, and or having sex. The videos were found to have been recorded in multiple different locations dating back to 2021, which included a downtown Austin condo and a vacation home in Colorado, both owned by who? The parents, okay? Mitchell don't own nothing. Amazon Records also linked purchases of spy cameras to Mitchell account. If convicted, a state jail felony carries a state jail felony carries a sentence not more than two years or less than 180 days confinement. Now, isn't that something? So now I, I gotta put it out here. Were the parents arrested? Not according to the report, they own the property. Um, he was out in less than an hour. That means somebody knew he was going in and they arranged it to make sure he can get out quickly, okay? The other places that these cameras were found, does Mitchell own those properties? No, his parents own those properties. Um, are they checking all the stores? Because his parents own those too. And he had access to those stores. So if this is about access and nothing else, well, why don't you check everywhere that he had access to that his family owns? All right. This is a hell of a thing. Doc, and all of the things that could happen, Department of Defense up in your house as a guest. Is able to see this is a camera and I did not consent to being recorded, and this is a problem. Thoughts? You know, you put a legal frame around it, which I think is important to think about, right? Did the did the who who owns the property? Where was all this stuff happening? But I also want to. I mean, this is another kind of psychoanalytic case, right? That, that this is a fetish, right? This is yep. somebody who has a fetish of voyeurism or scopophilia or other kinds of things. There's a lot of literature about this. And so I don't know about the legal culpability. Honestly, the parents are, you know, the guy's 28 years old and who knows, who knows with the camera, but did they know their kid had this particular fetish, right? I think that'll be the issue is what's the psychological and psychiatric history? Because we see this as almost a classic case from psychoanalysis and um, who gets off watching people in intimate moments, who gets off watching people go to the bathroom. It ties to some of the most classic kind of tropes of psychoanalysis about castration, anxiety, and fear of losing your mother and all these kind of things. So there's a lot of literature about this particular fetish. And the question will be, did the parents know the kid had the fetish? What was the relationship? Has he, has he been in therapy before? And then the other part, as you're saying, is like, I don't know, I wasn't going to the bathroom in Bucky's anyway, but um, I think um, people who are using public restrooms are going to have more to think about now, you know, in addition to the questions of a kind of cleanliness and, and things like that. Yep. Um, but because when I first saw the story, I also thought like, just like you, like where else, <laughs> where else were these cameras? That's right. Uh, it's a hell of a thing. And, and I want to say this because I know people will say, well, it, it was in properties that were, that were owned by his family. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is in that state, you have what's called reasonable expectation of privacy in certain areas. And so if you violate those areas, it doesn't matter if you own them or not. If the person had a reasonable expectation of privacy, you have violated them. That's the way the statute works, all right?
Okay, um, this is an update to a story we brought you when it first happened. See him? He's dead. He's dead because authorities said he was trying to kill one of them. But none of the evidence has provided any, any basis for that proclamation. Let's put it up full mass. We know now that the fatal shooting of Manuel Tehran will not be prosecuted, at least by not by this current regime in the state of Georgia. No charges will be brought against the Georgia state trooper who shot the activist. Let me remind you, he was shot 57 times, including in his hands, okay? It was ruled a homicide, naturally. Manual used they, them pronouns, was a pacifist, environmentalist. Everybody said he did not have an aggressive bone in his body. Everybody. He was shot and killed by the police January 18th as officers raided compounds occupied by environmental demonstrators who had allegedly been camping out for months in protest to the development of Cop City. According to the autopsy report, he did not have gunpowder residue on his hands. Do you hear that? No gunpowder residue was found. They claim he shot at them. Officials claimed he fired the first shot at a state trooper. Officers then responded with gunfire. The report stated he had at least 57 gunshot wounds, uh, gunshot wounds in the body, including the hands, torso, legs, and head. An independent autopsy also found that his hands were raised, raised when they were shot. Okay, now in the statement, Stone Mountain Judicial Circuit DA, George Christian said the six officers who shot acted lawfully. The use of lethal deadly force by the Georgia State Patrol was objectively reasonable. Under the circumstances of this case, no criminal charges will be brought against the Georgia State Patrol troopers involved in the shooting. Now, I want to remind everyone that the elected DA, who was initially involved in the investigation of this, um, also found things to be questionable. She ended up recusing herself and said something to the effect of their justice, it's not my justice, okay? She left, she's elected by the good people of that jurisdiction. Um, there was apparently footage of the shooting, but we don't have it. Um, now, the Georgia State Patrol, they have a special rule that nobody else had. They are immune from the mandate to wear a body camera. They're immune from it. And the only time they are mandated by Georgia law to actually have one is if they're at the state capitol. Isn't that ironic? So if you're around the lawmakers, the lawmakers are saying, hey, 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 buddy, you better have that camera on. But if you're around the citizens that the lawmakers represent, it's okay for you to not have it on. Wow, Doc, thoughts here? I mean, it's so similar to the cases we were talking about before. Here, especially around Cop City, or especially around kind of thinking about new policing, 
is a perfect opportunity to show transparency and community yeah. engagement in a way. And so the fact that there's secrecy around this this shooting of all uh, of all shootings, I think just highlights in, in a way it reifies the problem that people are afraid of in, in the first place. And so again, I think I think probably a lot of people would agree. It's not like we don't want anybody looking out for our safety. I, I study guns. I have a book coming out about guns. Um, it's not like we're looking for a world where everybody takes their own safety into their own hands. It's the NRA line. Everybody just carry a gun around um, and and protect yourself. That leads nowhere, right? That leads to more shooting and more unsafety. So it's not like community and safety are incommensurate with each other. But again, this is the moment for transparency. This is the moment for community building if people want to have these kind of community um, community engagements. And so I just think this is a perfect example of like showing a new approach to community safety at a crime, a shooting that happened right there. Um, and, and the fact that it's falling back into these old tropes, I think is is really sad and really tragic. Very much so, very much so. Um, and just an update, um, city council members, they have voted in support of the movement that uh, activists in Stop Cop City are involved in. What are they saying? They're saying, we want the public to vote on this. And guess what? All of a sudden, city council, even the mayor himself, they have said, yes, we actually agree the people should be heard. Should have listened to them about two and a half years ago. You wouldn't be here. All right, we'll bring you updates as they, as they come. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read a couple of comments. Um, okay, G Martinez Mac. The funny thing is, they will give these weirdos access levels while uh, legitimate candidates who are qualified, <coughs> who are qualified, are heavily discriminated against. Uh, oh, I, I get what you're saying. We'll give them legitimacy. Okay, discriminated against in order to keep them from job opportunity. Uh, Obadiah Hotep B1, member for 13 months, thank you for the support. Doc, we need you to run for president, Rashad Richard 2024. Um, I, I, I will run for the shadow government leader. I don't have time for bureaucracy, all right? <laughs> With whatever the shadow government is. Uh, Gwendolyn Scott, thank you so much, Gwendolyn. Uh, James Thompson, uh, gifted one in the speaker, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, Twitch, uh, re918. And I feel crazy whenever I look around all over a public bathroom before attempting you attempting use. You're not crazy, obviously. All right. Hell of a thing, NYPD cop gets a slap on the wrist after brutally assaulting another human being. Here it is. Situation. No, don't don't, all right, what's the situation? Don't worry about it. All right, so she, I want to make sure he's all right. No, stop touching me. Stop doing that. Don't, don't, don't touch don't me that. no more. Don't put your hands you on me. All right, you touching me. You and I asked you to put a mask on. That's number one. Don't get in his yeah, face. Yeah, all right. You don't said get, get in his face. face. I'm trying to make sure her son is all right. I can't see don't what's going on. Face. Stop yeah, touching me. Do that again. All right, so stop touching me. Back up. The cop brutally, brutally assaulted that man, put up the picture full of masks. New York police officers only receiving a very light 
a very light discipline after he decided to engage in criminal activity. Christian Zapata pleaded not guilty to assault in the third degree after he was indicted on the misdemeanor charge by a grand jury. The incident took place on December 7th of last year when police were called to provide aid to struggling special needs to a struggling special needs teenager who was in crisis at a Harlem apartment. When the cop arrived at the apartment, the longtime boyfriend of the child's mother, Jerome Collins, requested that the officer put on a face mask, but the officer refused to do so. Department policy at the time noted that officers were mandated to wear masks, even when working indoors. Officers of Potter told Collins he was interfering with their investigation and threatened to arrest him. Another officer who was with Zapata then restrained and began escorting Collins out of the apartment and down the hallway. Collins swats the officer's hand away, but still compliant. So Zapata then strikes Collins about 13 times in nine seconds, all right? So you see the video captured there. Collins spent 25 hours in detention and was charged with resisting arrest and obstruction of justice, straight BS. Charges were later completely dismissed. Collins is now suing the city in a statement from Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. He says, and I quote, Christian Zapata is charged with repeatedly punching a victim who posed no immediate danger or physical threat. He will continue to impartially investigate instances where members of law enforcement use unnecessary force because doing so is essential for enhancing public safety and confidence in the criminal justice system. So Zapata was placed on leave without pay, demoted last month in a letter contesting his suspension. The officer said, and I quote, my actions in this incident should speak loud and clear that I perceived a hostile threat after the defendant aggressively put his hands on a police officer. I perceived the defendant fighting with my fellow officer, I responded accordingly. I would never stand by and watch a fellow officer get hurt, and I stand on that principle. In quote, Zapata pleaded not guilty to the assault charge and is out of jail pending trial. He's due back in court in January, January 18th. Uh, in a statement after the incident, Collins' attorney said the recourse has been disappointing. If the DA's office really wants to make an impact and change the culture of misconduct in NYPD, they should have charged Zapata and the other officers with multiple felonies that were committed as seen on the body camera, and that is the part right there. Not only do you have multiple felonies being committed, they are aggravated. You have a violation of oath of office because there were lies on everybody's police report, okay? And remember what I told you when the fix is in? What did I tell you? If they don't charge the cop with violation of oath, the fix is in. Because violation of oath is a felony statute, and violation of oath disqualifies you from ever being a cop again. So when you don't see the violation of oath, there's a fix in here somewhere, all right? We'll continue to bring you the updates as they come. Doc, thoughts here? I mean, I agree with his statement. His actions speak for themselves. That was yeah. clearly, a, um, that was that was a um, an assault in, in a way. Um, you know, when the other cop is holding you back, trying to stop you from punching an innocent exactly. person, you got a big problem. Um, again, the, these are 
you know, you, you wonder what would happen in a case like this if there was no video, how many cases like this are happening without being videoed. And so the fact that even fact that we're having this conversation is because there's a, a video. And, and so again, these are opportunities. Um, these horrible cases are opportunities for police to say, um, the, the power you've given us as society is a, is a sacred trust, right? You've given us the trust of protecting you, uh, of having certain rights that other people don't have. And when we see stuff like this, it's an opportunity to then say, here's bad policing and we're going to show you transparency and good policing. And so you go. did that happen in this case? Um, no. Uh, and, and really that's, that's this, that's why we, keep having stories like this that in a way right. people are not against entrusting other authorities with their safety but when the, when the story keeps coming back to cover up and not to let's use these bad cases to to define what real real safe good policing that we all want is um then then um then it just creates the kind of binaries of us versus them that we've been talking about the whole show today that's right well said and i want to give a shout out to um what I believe to be a good police department. Um, so I was invited to San Jose, California a few days ago to speak, to be the keynote speaker for the NAACP gala. Uh, and the police chief, along with many of um, his officers attended. They were not only um, nice and respectful, um, they watched the program. They appreciate what we do here on Indisputable, uh, authentically so. And I wanna just say thank you to everyone who was so hospitable. Uh, and to the president, uh, Reverend uh, Jethro Moore II, remarkable leader and all the elected officials. All right, Doc, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people they can follow you, check out your great work. Take care, it's it's always important to have these conversations. I have a new book coming out uh, in, in January about mass shootings in America, rethinking our politics of mass shootings in America through the lens of race and, and politics and geography, much more about that. Right now I'm on dyingofwhiteness.com and I have a new website launching, which I'll blast out to all the networks pretty soon here. Awesome, man. We appreciate the continued leadership and the work you always do, man. Uh, very much so. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Welcome back. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, in the bullpen today, we have Mr. John Hartley. He is a writer, economics researcher, and commentator, having been um, a regular economics contributor for Forbes and the Huffington Post. Also writings in the Wall Street Journal and other places, very accomplished individual. Uh, Mr. Hartley, good to have you on the show, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, okay. Uh, we're going to talk about what's happening right now in Congress, naturally. Uh, they have decided to get rid of McCarthy. You have a void of leadership as far as House leadership is concerned. Based on the rules of engagement, certain things cannot happen without having an elected leader, like truly advancing legislation, uh, which is why Congress is in place, right? So they cannot do their constitutional duties here to the degree that they're supposed to. You basically have a representative government that's not representing anybody. And we are looking at another government shutdown, which would mean economic disaster. Uh, what do you see happening with Republicans as it relates to their new, hopefully soon to be a new elected leader for the House? Well, uh, the House GOP is coming back uh, you know, this week after um, you know, breaking last week. 
they have a, a, a plan to uh, vote on a new speaker on, on Wednesday. Um, they're having a candidate forum on Tuesday night. Uh, it's looking so far like these sort of two leading uh, candidates uh, to be the next um, House Speaker are, uh, are, are Steve Scalise and, and Jim Jordan, um, sort of both re- representing the more sort of traditional sort of fusionist camp uh, uh, on the Scalise side uh, versus um, uh, the you know, House Freedom Caucus member uh, and, and arguably sort of more populist uh, Jim Jordan. Um, and you're absolutely right. The stakes are, are very high. Uh, in terms of what actually caused the ouster of, of uh, Kim McCarthy to begin with had a lot to do with um, uh, Ukraine aid, um, saying that in a, uh, in a CR, um, you know, they managed to get a, a, a stop gap funding bill or a continuing resolution passed that only extends things to um, mid-November. Uh, so you know, mid-November is, is sort of going to be um, this sort of uh, t- time, um, really, I think, a time for choosing um, whether or not to sort of allow a government shutdown to happen uh, or to sort of um, uh, get together and, and figure out on uh, what exactly are going to be the steps forward. And the stakes are a lot higher now, given uh, the, um, the, the the new sort of conflict uh, and, and new war between Israel and Gaza. Um, you know, it's, it's really important, you know, thinking about um, now what's the significant issue is, you know, are you going to continue to be able to pay reservists? Um, who, who may be um, you know, uh, involved uh, or, or, or sort of proximate to uh, the, the Israeli-Gaza conflict. Uh, the U.S. has said they're going to move a carrier strike group uh, to the region. But of course, you know, the, the aid for Ukraine is, is a really huge issue, um, you know, whether or not to continue um, supporting uh, financially both for reconstruction for Ukraine as well as to support their, their efforts to um, push back um, uh, Russia uh, the Russian forces that are currently in um, in Ukraine, but you know, remember, yeah, you know, there was a very narrow House uh, GOP win in, in the last election. You know, it was like two hundred twenty-one Republicans to two hundred twelve Dems. You know, it, it allows people like you know Representative Matt Gates and others um, to sort of flex their power. Even people like Nancy Mace, who who isn't really a, a populist at all, but arguably more more of a of a centrist, um, just voting you know McCarthy out just to show that they have some some sort of power. Um, but you know, this is all amidst what seems to be some sort of a, a, a realignment, um, both you know within the GOP. There's certain uh, factions that are trying to move away from the sort of old Bill Buckley uh, GOP sort of fusionist yeah. um, um, model, and, and there's also uh, I think a realignment across both parties. Um, certainly, a lot of people are sort of against uh, free markets uh, on both sides, against sort of the old Washington consensus. A lot of people trying to build a new Washington consensus. People that. You know, are skeptical of, of trade, like things like tariffs, um, want things like industrial policy. Um, okay. There's, uh, I, I think, a, a big realignment that's sort of going on in front of us um, in terms of how uh, we want to uh, think about uh, international affairs. Let me, um, let me pose something to you, because you said something to me that's quite interesting and ironic, and I would like you to thoughtfully engage with me about this domestic issue, not just the international one. You said that basically things are even more dire because of the conflict that is happening with Israel and Hamas. And I can be sensitive to that. I can respect the reality of international conflict and how it adversely impacts domestic relations here in America and our interest overseas. But Mr. Hartley, from 1982 to 2022, you have a composite of 
19.23 million individuals who work for the federal government. You have millions of people right now who work for the federal government and contract with the federal government. So their livelihood is dependent upon the federal government. And then you have millions of state employees that technically work for the federal government because the grant is subsidized by the federal government, even though they are paid by state agencies. And then you have millions of Department of Education grants. All of these jobs, all of these people, they end up getting no paycheck. The largest employer, the largest singular employer of African Americans in America is the federal government. So while we could talk about is dire because of the conflict, it was dire because of mama them, because of our domestic American citizens beyond. And I don't know, man, don't you think it's ironic? We live in a country where we will say, okay, you know, the government's gonna shut down. Millions of people that live in America are going to be adversely impacted. But you know, this thing that's happening outside of America, that means that we really need to care now about making sure the government doesn't shut down. You don't find that ironic? Well, I think it was important before, you know, it's even more important now, obviously. But why is it more important? Isn't it more important to make sure that the government doesn't stop working for the people that make the government work? Who does the money come from? Whatever aid they want to use, we can debate about if the aid should go anywhere. But whatever aid they use, dear brother, that aid doesn't come from them. They don't make a damn thing. That aid comes from us. So they're willing to shut us down, but only willing to say, we're going to make something happen. Now, we're going to actually provide leadership now if we got to deal with something outside of America. That attitude, I'm not talking about the principle. I'm talking about the personality behind it, that kind of politic. It's the reason why people are so adverse to Congress and members of the political class in general. It's as if we are still on the back burner and we're the people that fund the whole operation. I don't think we disagree. I think you okay. know, it's obviously, I don't think anyone, or at least I'm certainly not in favor of any kind of shutdown. And I think most Republicans also aren't in favor of a shutdown. And again, you know, what I mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it only takes you know uh, six or seven or eight votes, right? Um, on on the GOP side. But what about Matt Gates? Let me ask you about Matt Gates specifically because uh, he seemed as if he was much more okay with the government shutdown. So much so that Mitch McConnell had to basically oppose what the individual said, what Matt Gates said publicly. So why do you think people like Matt Gates? Why are they leading this charge that seems antithetical to the progress? Um, of what we all would consider to be a good thing, people being able to work and get their paycheck. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think it's a clear, pretty clear case of you know political opportunism. You know, it, it's people Agreed. putting sort of them, themselves in their own political career over sort of the, you know, the broader interests of, uh, of you know the, the the people or the movement, uh, you know, uh, that that uh, the movements that you sort of subscribe to. Um, but you know. It, you, how did the CR get passed? You know, uh, you know, Kim McCarthy got enough votes from Democrats uh, to get uh, stopgap funding passed. It's, it's certainly possible that the next speaker could do something similar to that. Um, you know, it, it does cause a, uh, you know, it is a bit of an issue if 
Um, if again, you know, these, um, uh, you know, if, if there's continued issues with being able to actually elect a speaker, um, but I, I do think that this is more theatrics than than sort of anything that's you know, particularly um, serious. But you know, it's worth mentioning. You know, co- Congress has has a lot of issues um, that go, uh, I think, well beyond um, just shut these sorts of shutdowns. And usually, when these shutdowns end, you know, uh, uh, furloughed employees get you know all their back pay and, and so forth. Oh, come on, dear brother, wait uh, a minute, man. Yeah, it, it isn't on, you know, it isn't something that anybody Listen. wants. But but again, you know, the, the problem is that Congress doesn't do its job broadly speaking. Uh, and doesn't and I agree with on you a number on that. of issues, and, and I agree with it, you. it relies on you know, the, the administrative state to um, to to do uh, a number of things that the Congress should be doing. So I, I don't think we disagree. Uh, right. you know, shutdowns are bad, and they should uh, you know get their act together. So uh, um, so on that, that on that we concur. I don't want to dissuade from the impact of it by saying you know those people end up getting their money back or they get uh, their back pay. Well, many of them are still mandated to actually do some work. They're mandated to work in many offices without receiving money. And then you have what's called essential workers who will probably still get paid out of that provision, uh, uh, provisional fund. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you miss a paycheck for a month, hell, some people cannot miss a paycheck for one week without having significant adverse results happen in their personal life. So I want to be sensitive to that. Uh, and, and we're out of time, but I wanted to post this to you uh, before you go. Uh, naturally, this could have major economic um, or adverse economic effect. How do you think that translates? If that happens, if we're not able to get our stuff together, if Congress cannot do so uh, in this country, uh, remember it took 15 rounds of voting before McCarthy got it. If something like that happens, we'll go back into a shutdown. It has real consequence in America. Do you think that helps or hurts the Republicans who are, who are trying to gain power again in the executive branch? I, I think it hurts, uh, and I think if you look at past shutdowns uh, in general, uh, I, I think it generally hurts broad uh, Republican electoral uh, prospects in general. Again, you know, I think th- th- these are cases of you know uh, a few individual congressmen that are you know political opportunists trying to put their own individual you know political career interests above that of the party. Broadly speaking, I think you know all the. You know, 221 or uh, most of the 221 Republicans who are in the House trying to get reelected uh, yep. next year uh, don't want to have to answer uh, to their constituents for why there was uh, some some sort of a government shutdown, even if you know they were um, you know opposed to it, and and many and most are. Um, so again, you know, I think you know politically, uh, it, it's it's very bad for Republicans who are you know trying to get reelected next year. Yeah. Um, for sure. There you go. All right. Before you go, should they remove Matt Gates or not? Well, I, I don't know if they have the power to. I mean, it, it's. Uh, uh, I, I think in general, but they have the authority. You mean they they don't have the votes? That, that's what you mean? Well, I, I think you know, in general, I think you know, removing somebody from Congress, uh, I, I think yeah, the, at least in terms of what the procedure generally is, is usually you know, under circumstances of you know fraud, criminality. Yeah, uh, they say he know. snorts cocaine and likes to um, have sex with underage children. So that that would be he's on investigation for that by an ethics committee. Right. But, you know, that that's up to the, you know, the Department of Justice and the courts. And, you know, they have to make. Oh, no, the ethics committee can make a determination of that. It's been it's been done before. They can do so without the DOJ. Sure. But they need, you know, they need evidence and, and you know, you have to have committee hearings and so forth. So and all that takes a long, long period of time. And, you know, that that can't I don't think you have enough time between now and. Well, generally speaking, if it comes out that there's evidence here, there's some there there, do you think that Matt Gates should be removed? 
Well, no, you know, you, you need to have you know evidence of of these uh, you know of, of you know criminality. Right. That's what I'm saying. If there's evidence that he did those things presented during committee hearings, do you think at that point they do need to move? To have him absolutely, I think there should be any. I think there should be ethics investigations of any case of of criminality on the part of of, uh, members of Congress. Look what's going on with Senator Bob Menendez. You know, a lot of Democrats have have rightfully, uh, I think, asked for him to resign. And I think any time any member, but should Matt Gates be removed? If if there's evidence of criminality, of course. Uh, uh, But again, you have to make the case. Uh, uh, and you need evidence. You know, it can't just be hearsay or rumors and, and so forth. So yeah. uh, I think that's important. And yeah, I think it's more than rumors, sir. Uh, well, you know, the Department of Justice hasn't indicted him. So yeah, that was a that was unfortunate. On there. Yeah, I don't either. That was unfortunate. Um, but let's see if these text messages come back up before that committee. All right, and I'll bring you back on to talk about it then. Okay, but it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America compared to CNN, Fox News, and 30 other networks. We tell the truth on indisputable because the truth is indisputable. We go places that other news media outlets refuse to go. When there were human rights abuses happening at the Victorville prison, guards and members of the community contacted us. You, through your investigative reporting, unearthed very troubling allegations about specific forms of abuse and discrimination in the federal prison system. It really doesn't take much to be a trusted voice. All it takes is to be fearless, Report on matters, be an advocate. I called it the bullpen intentionally because it's a place of preparation. We present individuals who may have an opposing view, so we debate. Sometimes we interview individuals because their stories deserve to be heard. A survivor of significant police misconduct and his attorney. We covered this story earlier and remind you of the horror of one man being shot at damn near 100 times by the police. We take time on this show to showcase the temper tantrums of Karens in the wild. We do this not because we want to see people's emotional outbursts in public, but because these incidents are emblematic of a bigger societal issue taking place across the nation, and it has to be checked. My friend, my big homie, attorney at law, Benjamin Crump. I just want to thank you, man. When educated, articulate brothers like yourself speak truth to power, it makes a great difference in changing the landscape in America. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.